Welcome back to the Uncensored CMO. Episode three, who do we have, John? We've got Aaron Shepherd, uh, co-founder of the Goat Agency. Now, I introed you to Aaron because I thought you're too old to understand influencers. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> have, and Although, that, to be fair, Aaron did say, do you remember, he said, um, I, I said, how do, you, how do you sell to somebody who's over the age of 30 that didn't grow up with social media? Mm. And he said, I sell to their kids. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> yeah. If you've got kids, you've got people in your house that That's know how answer. this works. Yeah. And uh, I, I liked Aaron because he, he's a great salesperson and he puts it, puts everything across so well and I thought he'd be able to explain influencers a little bit more to you as I guess quite a traditional CMO you're, you're, you're open to new ideas but in terms of the things you've done at LucasAid and Britvic they've been quite quite old school normal FMCG marketing things and when you work with influencers they're more celeb influencers opposed to smaller niche influencers that Aaron talks about um so Aaron is the co-founder of the Goat Agency. Um, 50 well, that, that's that's the thing. I tell you what, tell you what it is because everyone says traditional marketing is dead, right? And everyone says marketing, modern marketing is the future, and you get sold this story, right? So, people like me that might be in their mid forties have grown up on a certain style of marketing, and you just get told you've got to go digital. It's got it's got it's all online, da, 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 sort of thing. And I think the best advice you can give anyone is take the best things that you know and have been proven over many, many years to work because consumer behavior doesn't change nearly as much as people think it does and judge carefully the new things and test them out first and see if they work. And what I liked about Aaron is he has proven his his approach works. He has, he has worked out how influencer marketing should be done and he's, he gives, you know, for example, the fact he gives a guarantee to his customers. This will pay back two, three, seven, eight, ten times what you'll get on Facebook. And as a, as a CMO, I don't need to know how he does it, but if I can see the results, then I'm kind of, I'm convinced. Now, Aaron is a very, very good salesperson. He is. And I've got to say, <laughs> after my chat I had with him, I was completely sold on the whole idea of influencers. Do you reckon part of, part of what he's selling and part of what the Go Agency are selling is... Um, is too overconfident it's do you reckon you're just being sold to well I think people buy from people right and it's always been that way it always will be that way and and I think what the penny drop moment for me was when I realized that what you're doing with influence effectively is facilitating lots of opportunities for people to be influenced by people that they trust so if you tell me something and and I tend to believe you because I know you and I trust you whereas if an advertiser you know, buys advertising space to tell me something, I don't necessarily trust them because I'm being I've been talked to sort of thing. And I think that's what he's done is he's he's able to generate thousands, probably millions of micro conversations mm-hmm. between people that trust each other and therefore they're more likely to kind of, you know, buy from those people. And that was a I guess in the old school you'd call it PR, right? In the old days you go, you know, I, I want to use somebody that um, you know, to represent my brand, who there's a community that people that follow that person and trust that person. And what he's doing is doing that same thing, but he's using social media as the way of doing it rather than using print media um, or earned media as a PR agency would do. Mm. You know what I didn't like about the conversation? I think it may have actually been at the end or maybe after when we asked him what's the minimum budget he takes. <laughs> and do you know why? Because I didn't like that either. It's because... He's got this amazing story of putting a thousand pounds in, right, and getting a ridiculous. Well, return. No, it was something like ten pound in. Was but, it ten pounds? Or yeah. was it less than that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he just gave gave an gave an influencer ten pound, but when we asked what's your minimum monthly budget, what was it? He said forty thousand a month. Forty thousand a month. Now, you've got to have a big marketing budget to be able to put forty grand a month. I don't know if that even includes media spend to an agency just for well, influencers. I, well, I think there's two challenges here, right? Fast, f- the first challenge is they're the fastest growing agency in Europe, right? That is going to bring a ton of challenges. How do you scale up? How do you make sure every individual is acting like, you know, you did when you started the agency? So scaling up is, is a really, really big problem. The second thing is, if you're going to put thresholds like that, say, well, look, we're now big. We now don't get out of bed for £40,000 a month, which is fine because you're now playing with the big boys and you should that's going to open you up to a ton of competitors that will look at you and go well they're being successful that's how you do it we're now going to service the naught to 40,000 there's a there's a ton of people out there in the naught to 40,000 category that will be quite happy to go well okay we want goat plus and where's that coming from so they're going to have to fight battles internally how do they protect the model 
externally then how do they you know how do they protect from competitors coming in did you ever have that budget to spend on influencer never. slash social no 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 what never, about marketing never. budget well my maximum marketing budget lrs would have been total total everything 50 million but then you, you divide that down you're buying data you, yeah you, you, you're, you're doing lots of production you're doing media tv advertising i mean inf- well we had a fairly traditional view of influencers partly because we're not a direct consumer brand so we're not we're relying on people going into a shop and buying us rather than buying us online yeah, makes yeah. a big difference actually in this conversation so our influencer were would be sponsoring anthony joshua for example and he would he would influence us you know he'd be our influencer for lucas sport mm. but if i add all that together i don't know maybe 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 half a million so i might just get in yeah so as someone with a 50 million budget a year i might scrape into that kind of league mm. so there's a ton of people out there that are you know smaller than that what what was your favourite part of the conversation? Do you know, genuinely, favourite part of the conversation was actually hearing his personal story, right? The, 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 the sacrifice he made to get the agency to the stage it's at now, that's the bit that kind of put a little chill down my spine because everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. It's very glamorous. But you listen to someone that's made those sacrifices, you can go, do you know what? This is only for the brave. Now, he would say he couldn't not do it, right? And I, I get that because there's, there's a tug in me that's like, I've got to damn well do this, you know. So I, I do get that. but And I also think, weirdly, his relationship with his father is probably pretty key because he said from a young age his father was an entrepreneur and, and he's grown up with that around him. And I think that's significant because I think that prepares you. It gives you your attitude. It gives you your kind of view of risk. And in fact, not taking a risk is a risk when you're like that. you know. So that's definitely my favourite. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Great Brilliant to, be here. to have you on. Uh, delighted you could make the time. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Um, just for the benefit of the listeners, could you introduce, say a little bit about you? I'd love to hear about your backstory. How did you end up being where you are today? So I'm one of the co-founders of Goat. We are the leading influencer agency globally. Um, what has got me here is is just life, right? Mm. I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason, and I've had countless different experiences to lead me here i'm i'm now for the last four years i've been running an agency um, you know we're the fastest growing agency in europe but i never did that before but before that was running um a, a social network that i set up in 2012 and next in 2015 before that i was doing property development in the middle east and africa wow that's pretty um, yeah i lived in abuja for six months and like i met Prime Minister of Kenya when I was 22 and the president of Nigeria and like all sorts of, of weird stuff. Um, I had my own um, promotions business when I was 18 that I ran through uni. So I've always had a sort of desire to create things and it's never been about working. I, lots of people talk about in the cell, I, I want to work for myself. It's not really about working for myself. It's about being able to create something out yeah. of nothing. Um, it sounds like from what you just said there, you, you've always kind of created business, being being your own boss, that kind of thing. Have, no, have I mean, I worked in, 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 so in the in Dubai, I, when I was doing the property development stuff in Middle East and Africa, I was working for someone else. Yeah. Um, so I did three and a half years there working for someone else. The the events business I set up at the beginning was, was me, and then the last two, obviously Goat and Sport Lobster was me. Um, but yeah, that's what I mean. It wasn't a, I don't want to work for someone else. It was just I don't need someone else to de-risk it for me. That's the difference, yeah, right? I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not scared by that fear. The fear of not trying has always been much scarier to me than the fear of failure. That's really interesting, actually, because I, I, I do you, is that is that a personality trait, or do you think that's a generational thing? Because I think I know for me, I kind of. I, I kind of went started working in an era where you kind of you went up the ladder, you had to get this experience, and in your head you kind of thought, I you know I'll be able to do my own thing once I've done this before. Now if I look back, I, I wish I'd ignored that advice and kind of like just given it a try because I think you learn so much more when you actually just try rather than sort of you know wait till you've accomplished everything first. Yeah, I mean m- my dad's was an entrepreneur growing up, you know, for me, so I've always seen I've been around someone that's and had big ups and downs um, and been around someone who's lived and breathed that and seen sort of 
seen the reality of that. I was. So you probably absorbed a whole lot from him, maybe oh, even without realizing. Oh, yeah. and I still do. Still, mm. I still do. Um, and I, the the biggest advantage I've had in life is that, yeah. right? Is the ability to have a um, a mentor who, like, understands like the shit that we go and it's never the people that haven't done this don't even know what it is that people actually worry about they mm. think they think about oh that's what i'd worry about it isn't yeah. there's a load of other stuff you'd yeah. worry about and you're not even aware of it so to try and have that conversation with someone that isn't aware of it is impossible because they can't that you don't know what you don't know yeah. um so just that experience of being able to lean on someone who's been through and like all the bad stuff is where you get the most learnings right when things go well you don't learn that much when things don't go well is when you really pick up shit i shouldn't have done that i shouldn't have done that i shouldn't have done that so what so if, if someone's listening and they're they've got an idea for a business and they want to do it what would your advice then be <laughs> it's a very it's a uh so it's an interesting one i think i think there is a culture of entrepreneurs being seen incorrectly as like something that's cool to be mm. and i believe that it's become almost too significant a stick for people like being an entrepreneur has become success when actually i don't understand why it is and i think there are certain people like i couldn't not do this i couldn't do it because the second someone else said, oh, I think you should do this, and I disagreed, I would go and do it. It's not that I would argue with them. I'd just go, that's fine, appreciate your opinion, and I'd just go and do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So if I was working with someone else and I disagreed with them, I'd just end up setting my own business out, yeah. out the back of it. If you're not doing that, maybe it isn't for you. And I think there's not enough people saying, this is really fucking hard, yeah. right? and it is, right? We've got 130 people working for us now. It's hard. We've got 90 live campaigns on. Right? I, I could get a call from anybody, from one of a thousand people between client, staff, and like part, all sorts that could just destroy the next 24 hours of my life. Like, I never know what's going to happen, and there's always something. Yeah. And I, I think there are lots of times when I think, I'm not sure this is worth it. And like I said, I do this not because of ego. I don't go around telling people, oh, I've got this, I've got that. It doesn't, that's not, it's not what drives me. What drives me is coming in here, progressing people, being involved in that, seeing, like, even when people leave this business, if they go to great jobs, I get a huge amount of satisfaction from that. Yeah. There's no personal gain from me, really. But we only live once. It's, you know, it's I, legacy, I, I, right? I think it's so interesting. I think, I think what people forget is almost every biography I've read or, or podcast I've listened to of a really successful founder tells that story you know it, it's it, it almost you, you hear so much more of the failure the long hours the credit running out the people that let you down the deals that never happened and it, I, people just don't realize how much has gone in yeah. you know to get to get where you are so I, that's think that's, I think they look at people that you kind people, of see the success don't you, you see the, you see the instagram yeah you know or, or you read exactly. the forbes you know 100 yeah. or people look at what they don't yeah. have and, and always in life think oh if i had that it would solve the problem but I think you'd find there are lots of very successful people that if you ask them, was it worth it? Or should you have sold 10 years ago? Should you have worked less? Should you have, I think a lot of them would go, yeah, I should have done. I should have done because my relationship with my kids isn't great or my wife left me or like, and like I'm married with two kids. I, however much I care about clients and our staff, and I do I care enormously. I don't give a shit compared to my wife and my kids, right? I, I have absolute clarity of my priorities. And so it doesn't need something bad to happen for me to go, oh God, I'm, like, I'm always aware of that. I'm always thinking about that. So my actual advice to, to, to people that want to be entrepreneurs is to be really certain, like make absolutely sure. This, this for me shouldn't be something that you're hovering on. Anyone that's been hovering for two, three years probably shouldn't do it yeah. right because if you're stood over the cliff if i'm stood at that cliff i cannot not jump i have to jump so if you've been stood there for three minutes like it's not right for you don't jump what and there's no shame in that like it shouldn't we shouldn't glorify this like it's it's just a way of making a living in life so let me life. ask let me ask about the 
um, in terms of having wife and kids, so more established family situation, would you have done, if you were starting today, would you have done the same thing? Because I know for me, um, one, of, one of my regrets is I, I wish I'd taken a few gambles in my early 20s. Because when you, you know, you, you, you can live off hardly anything, you can go anywhere, you can work silly hours, yeah. it doesn't matter. Because the only person that, you know, that is, you know, suffering is yourself. As soon as you've got a family, suddenly they come first. Yeah. So I mean, I just wondered, from your point of view, would you have done, would you do it now? So ironically, I did it. My, so my wife was pregnant with our first when we set up Go. So, and I knew that to like, and actually a couple of months before when I was still in my non-compete coming out of Sport Lobster, it was when we found out that, that we were pregnant. And so I'll be honest, nothing has ever put a rocket up my ass further than that. Like my level of my work went from, you know, working hard to flat out right and i'm the way i try and deal with the 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 situation now and obviously i you know i'm 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 going to be in the us four times in the next five weeks and i'm plus dubai plus um tokyo and like it's it's a nightmare from a travel point of view the only way i found to deal with it is to try and be as present as i can in what i'm doing when i'm doing it and so when I'm at home at the weekends, I am just with my kids and I, I, I'm not on phone calls. I'm not dealing with that stuff. And then when I'm in the office or when I'm working, I'm flat out and I'm working. When I'm in a, you know, I'm on this podcast with you, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not, when I'm in a meeting, it's the same thing. When I go to the toilet, I look at my phone and when I'm out, like, but it's very, I'm doing what I'm doing and I will give a hundred percent to what I'm doing and then move on to the next thing um but i'm i'm always thinking about it right i'm always always that's always a question for me it's half term at the moment mm. right it's you know i've got one meeting tomorrow um which is very rare for me like usually i have no ability to get out of anything i've got one meeting it is a big meeting but it's half term with the kids and i'm like do i drop that meeting do i not and like that's where it becomes difficult right yeah. what's the value it's got a trade-off, isn't it? Yeah, you it's have to all those trade-offs that's all the time. It. That's it. Wow. I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I haven't decided what I'm going to do tomorrow. Yeah, um, let me know. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll send yeah. you a message. <laughs> yeah, well, the person who I cancel on, <laughs> but he won't be too happy. But, you know, that's what it is. I'm sure if they understood the, the context, they probably would be okay with it, yeah. to be honest, because our client, we work our asses off for our uh, clients. Do you know so. what? That is a really good bit of advice. I bet they would. I, I bet they you, would. I bet yeah. if you told them that, their oh, respect yeah. for you. Yeah. Would, 100%. Would multiply, yeah. yeah, exactly. Because in the so day, we're all, we're all in this together. We're all human. That yeah. person I've got meeting with has got kids, so yeah. they're definitely yeah. going to have the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll probably go, great, yeah, we'll do it next week. Like, it's. Yeah. So there's things, I try and do things like that, and like maybe Brilliant. that's what will happen tomorrow. Um, so, yeah. So, wh- tell me, uh, take me back to when you first started Go. Where did the idea for the agency come from? So, it came out of a previous business of, of mine called Sport Lobster. So, Sport Lobster was a sports social network. We raised 17.5 million sterling, got 2.5 million active users, had Cristiano Ronaldo as an ambassador, Steph Curry, virtually every other Premier League footballer, partnered with the NBA, the NFL, sponsored Crystal Palace, and did everything, trying to acquire new users, and did a good job of acquiring them. In So I, I co-founded that. Harry um, was head of social there. I hired him in Sport Lobster when he was 18. Nick became head of marketing. So the three of us running the sort of marketing side of the business. Um, one day in 2013, Gabe and... I should go back. We, was, we were using every agency in London, everyone. And this was my first real sort of introduction into, into marketing agencies, to be honest. And what I discovered was that none of them do what they say they're going to do. As an industry, it's quite... It really staggered me, like... They're not terrible, but they all deliver 80% of what they say they're going to do. And that's just because they all do it, it's okay. But I come from a scenario where you do like you, you always do what you say you're going to do. So it's just never worked for me. So that was the first thing was we're never happy with the agencies and we're always fuck them. We'll do it ourselves. We'll figure out a better way to do this. And, and more often than not, we could. Um, one day in 2013, we gave a guy on Twitter uh, who had 100,000 followers, a tenner, um, to post about Sport Lobster. He had a football account. Um, he posted, it drew 2,000 downloads to Sport Lobster, really? which 
I mean, we all fell off our chairs. We had Cristiano Ronaldo had posted the day before and done 1,800. So we just, it was literally like we, we thought this is a mistake. Like this, it can't be that. That can't have happened. Um, so over the next month, we did as many of those as we possibly could. This is beginning of 2013 when the word influencer did not mean what it does now, right? Nobody was doing this. We all thought, well, that they just won't post, right? That, and some of them didn't, right? Of that first hundred, probably half a dozen just ran off with it, right? But that was what we were doing with tenors here and there. Um, so we then used a hundred more and we discovered that basically 80% of them didn't work and they were delivering, they still worked in the sense they're delivering us five, 10, 15 downloads for a tenor or whatever. You've got to quit CPA. But when we were getting a penny CPA elsewhere from stuff, we just, for us, that wasn't working. So we, we realized that not all influencers are created equal at that point. We then just went on a massive trial and error run. By the time we came out of Sport Lobster, we'd use 4,000 sports influencers. Um, me, Nick, and Harry had seen the value of this over everything else. That what we put 20 grand in was beating 250, 300 elsewhere every time. So eventually we stopped spending elsewhere and just kept scaling and scaling and scaling. We went to the only agency that existed that time. This was in 2014, early 2015. Um, we, by that point, were able to do about 40 grand a month of our own stuff on influencers. And we were trying to, to scale that up. Um, went and did a campaign with that agency. They actually only were able to deliver 2% of what we were looking for. So we sort of, another light bulb was, oh, we're already the biggest agency at this. We're just not selling it to anyone else but ourselves. Oh, wow. But they can only do a grand and we can do 40. So... So what was it? that's really interesting then. So what, what is it they were doing? They had gone down a different route, had basically bought pages and used them as publishers. And that's why they weren't getting the value out of it because they hadn't seen the trial and error system there. They were just using influencers because they were the first people to do it. And so it didn't, but we'd actually figured out the way to do it. So when we put them up against us, we realized, oh, they haven't seen this yet. They don't know this is a trial and error game. And we've got more data on it. They're suggesting people we've already used and no, don't work. So we're going, oh, no, they don't have this. So, okay, let's just, so we, we scrap that off. And at that point, we decided, right, let's, you know, we'll do this. I, I got out of Sport Lobster and, and exited that. And then the other two boys left. Brilliant. I mean, I think it's fascinating because, uh, you know, uh, given, given the generation that I, I would represent, so I got my first mobile phone at 19. Um, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, so it, was, it was a while ago, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, in, in previous jobs, there's been a, a real battle between, um, I, I guess you'd say, modern marketing versus traditional marketing, this kind of thing. And, and a lot of people maybe in my kind of position would go, right, I've heard about influencers, I understand it, I know I need to do it, but I'm just not yet convinced. So give me the, um, give me the 45-year-old CMO pitch um, okay, the pitch fund fundamentally is, I don't really care if you, <laughs> if, yeah. if, you, if you see it or not sort of thing. What, what happens a lot with, with 45-year-olds in that position is they, they're teenage kids, they're seeing it, right? If you've got kids between the age of four or five and, and 17, 18, the only question I ask is, what do they do? They're like, oh, yeah, they're just on their phones all the time. Great, okay. So that's why we exist, right, is... But that's what it is. The world has changed. The mobile phone has changed the world unlike any piece of technology. I think in the last, probably the only thing you could put close to it would be the internet. You know, it used to come on into, into a, you know, on a train into London 20 years ago. People are just looking around. You, you, you go on your, you know, everybody's listening to this probably on a commute, yeah. listening to it on their phone with their headphones in. Like, like it's... It's not, so if you think they're looking at the billboard ads above you, like, you're off your head. If you think they're watching TV when they get home, like, you're just wrong. Like, of course, some people are, but huge swathes of the population have changed their consumption habits, and it's primarily focused on social. I watch TV, but I watch it on tablets and my phone and, like, through OTT apps and things like that. I, it, it's not that the whole thing's gone, but like live TV, are people sitting there on Saturday night and watching TV? I don't think so. I think they're putting Netflix on. And 
the data is coming back to show that it is. You know, a huge amount of, of TV is actually going into VOD now. And so really it's about if you want to engage with your consumer base, you're going to have to do it on social because that's where they are. People spend more time on social than they do on any other channel. But for some reason, it doesn't have the biggest spend. So what, what I want to know is how do you do that in, in an authentic way. So if, if you take if you take the existing model of advertising, you know, you go away and make it a high quality advert, you control the message, don't you? You go, this is what I want to tell you. And and you, you can make that very good, yeah. very compelling. But as you say, if you want to interrupt someone in their kind of social media feed, um, how do you how do you make a compelling how do you deliver a compelling brand message yeah, really in that good environment? environment? Really good question. Um, you can't do both. Right, so they're, they're, I think the days of these big TV ads that get cut up into other formats, I think we're seeing the end of that. Uh, the reason we're seeing the end of that is that people expect content now that is really niche to them. Now, for the last 10 years, the programmatic sort of guys have been saying that, but they don't really mean it. What what they mean is you've been on this website, we're going to assume you're that and now we're going to follow you around with it. And they might be right, they might be wrong. What I'm talking about is, let's say you're League of Legends, right, the game, and you want to engage with people that play that game. The logical solution in our mind would be to find League of Legends accounts who all they do is talk about League of Legends and then put the right creative for that community through those gatekeepers and that's it right now we do that at a huge scale niche content to niche audiences at a huge scale but i want as many different creatives as physically possible every we do four to five thousand posts a week at this office everything's unique everything and how do you get how do you get the client comfortable with signing that off so because i'd imagine that as you know because uh, I guess when you when you're controlling problem. it, it's our biggest, yeah. How, it's our biggest how, how do you manage that? Because yeah. immediately I'm I've got a thousand questions in my head about what if someone says something wrong? What if you know something goes out that's not on brand and that sort of thing? So how do you manage that process? Well, I'll just get you to list those problems, and then I will guarantee you that they won't happen. Right? We have lots of processes in place to to protect brands that are working with influencers, um, including software checks, manual checks, all sorts of stuff yeah. to ensure that. You're not going to have, you know, someone that's been racist six months ago. We haven't seen it. Like, that would never happen here because we, the 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 level of, of analysis we're doing on every single account would blow people's mind. I can't talk about it because it's, you know, people don't know what to do with it. But, you know, it, that just shouldn't be happening. The, the, you can prevent that from happening. Um, so it would just be about de-risking it. Um, and just finding out what those problems are, and then yeah. essentially ensuring that the client. And that how do you happen. how do you select your influence as well? Because I guess you know the, the, the media is the message, isn't it? So how do you make sure that the people that are representing the brand are also a good fit? Yeah. So I, I think the fact that we're you know we've used over a hundred thousand different influencers, um, completely cross vertical, and it goes it almost goes back to the League of Legends example. It's by never running out of influencers. The second you've got to make somebody fit because you can't find someone that's right is when it falls apart. But like, on it, we've done so like we've done some really really obscure stuff where the f your first thought would be, is there even a community of people? But there is, right? It doesn't matter what it is. Like the weirdest bondage thing you've ever thought of. There'll be half a million people. That's all they do is talk <laughs> about that, or like dog collars, yeah. or um. I don't know, like a koi carp, right? You, you could have a community of, that might be 50 different people and they might not have a million followers talking about koi carp, but you find a hundred accounts that between them have got half a million and that's where the community of koi carpers is. So it's just about, th that's it. It's about always being brutally honest with ourselves about is this the right person to talk about this? And then ensuring, are they within the 20% that's going to deliver it? And then ensuring, is the creative right? Is the call to action right? Is the mechanic right? And everything else that we're, we're, we're optimizing every single area of this. Um, because ultimately, we deliver for our clients. That's, we're, we're n we do stuff which is not traditional delivery in the sense of like, 
we do stuff that doesn't have sales at the bottom where we might be changing an awareness problem, changing a perception problem, dealing with sentiment issues, something like that. But we are built to deliver business results for businesses. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because I think that's super important because I think you talked about this earlier, but one frustration that I always face as a CMO is the inability of most agencies to actually prove what their marketing will do. I mean, I mean, the classic one would be a, a PR agency that goes, you know, we've generated 80 million, you know, uh, 80 million people have seen this and you're sat there scratching your head thinking, well, there's only 60 million people in the country and only half of those are actually old enough, you know, sort of thing. So, um, I've been in some staggering, I've been I in mean, a few recently where it's billions and I'm thinking, yeah, what like, the fuck are you talking exactly, about? Exactly, it's like, like the kind of Facebook user yeah, thing, isn't it? You're you know? showing this to everyone in China. Like, yeah, I know. I mean, I once, um, I once got kind of 20,000 uh, uh, 20, followers on Facebook, and then I, and then I checked them out, and 18,000 were in the Philippines. Yeah, you know, sort of yeah that's not a good sign. I know, it's not, is it? Unless yeah. you're a Philippines restaurant or yes. something, in which case it'd be a great yeah, sign. Yeah, it'd be great. But exactly, I wasn't, but, uh, yeah. you know. Um, but, I, I mean, th this is my biggest frustration as a CMO, probably, because I think what people often forget in these situations is the CMO has got to justify making that, making that, signing that check, making, making that investment. And there's pressure from the CFO, you've got the sales director shouting, I need to go and sell this to my customer and this sort of thing. Um, how do you prove the return that the brand's gonna get on your influencer campaign? Well, some clients, when it is down to sale, it becomes quite binary, right? If we're delivering a CPA that's better than the rest of their channels, that's it, right? It's, it's, and the advantage with influencer is it will always do a brand job as well as a direct response job. So if you can deliver influencer stuff better than direct response and add the brand in, then my God, that's valuable. Um, if it isn't direct response, people are paying for something, right? So if you've paid X on Facebook paid last month to get Y, I will offer you two Y for X. Most people take that because why wouldn't you? Um, Apples and apples as well, right? That's why when yeah. I'm talking about paid, it's exactly the same. So you, you, you would go, right, give me your campaign, yep. gi give me your Facebook results, yep. and we'll, we'll better it, it by... Yeah, whatever it may. I mean, yeah. we're running stuff with clients at the moment that's 10 or 11 times better than their own paid. So, you know, uh, we, we're guaranteeing stuff to people that want and do you find Do you find that your conversations are with like let's say the CMO or the head of marketing or, really do you or they're with the media agency. Because I think one of the challenges with our industry is you've got this traditional monopoly, I guess you call it, where most, most brands go through the media agency and then they delegate responsibility for then handing out that media money. And, and they're incentivized to make certain decisions, right? It's, it's the old classic, you know, whatever the question, a TV adds the answer or whatever, you know, that you often get. How, how do you tackle that sort of inbuilt bias head in on, the system? Head on. We, we don't really work with media agencies. We take budget off them the vast majority of the time. We, that's whether or not we can produce better creative than creatives. And I believe we can, to be clear. I think when we're talking about social creatives, I believe we're the best social creative agency in the world. But when it comes to social delivery, it can't be argued, right? It's a binary answer. So we are, it's a fact, delivering better than everyone else on that. The creative stuff is a bit more subjective, but I want to get into the paid stuff or in the binary and the sales stuff. That, that The most frustrating thing for me is when I know we've done great work and the client just can't quite see it or has a, you know, because it's subjective, they go, oh, they still didn't like that video that was for a 16-year-old, even though they never should have liked it. Whereas when it's sales-based, it's it's just about sales at the end. So, you know, our success becomes a lot easier to prove. Yeah. Um, so we want to prove it. That's the big thing for us. Whatever it is that you're... And we're not saying give us your worst channel. I'm going to people saying, what's your best channel? We're going to beat that one, right? So then when we say take budget from the other ones, there shouldn't really be too much of a conversation about it. Um, you know, we've got countless examples of businesses that have come to us and, you know, football manager came to us three years ago and they, Miles is brilliant. And this is, this is another interesting thing. My frustration actually comes like I love procurement departments. When we get into procurement, we always that's win. That's we're always yeah, win. Yeah, because most as people hate as, procurement ah, departments. As soon as we're in procurement, uh, I know guess. we've won yeah, yeah, because yeah. 
Now it is just a, a numbers game. And we're you should be pitching to the finance director as well. That's, that's, the, that's yeah, the other way. Absolutely. They love you. They're great for us. Um, so we want to get into, we want to get into procurement. We want to have that difficult conversation. If the, the fluffy stuff's the most frustrating, we still do stuff for big brands where we beat something they're doing by 10 times and they either do the same again or they'll wait a month before doing another one. And like, you can imagine how incredibly frustrating that is when we've just destroyed what someone else is doing, but whether they admit it or not, it's-, it's Well, there's vested interests, aren't there? It's vested interests, it's relationships, yeah. and it's fear, right? Yeah. That's, that's all it is. They're all sat there going, oh, we're gonna innovate. Go on then, here we are. Here is the innovation. You, you, it's guaranteed to you. Like, what, how much more de-risk do you want this? But whether it's they like Karen and Steve at that agency and you know, the kids are going on holiday with them and they don't, I don't want to break that, fair enough. Or it might be that there is actually a financial deal kicking back somewhere, and I don't mean to those individuals, but somewhere. But that's the most frustrating thing for us. That never happens when the person who's running the business is still involved, ever. Yeah. Whenever the person who founded it is financial, financially involved, is there, the budget moves immediately. The but second we deliver I think moves. this is a really important insight because um, I've been helping out with some agencies recently on their pitches. And one thing I say to all of them is, you've got to ask who's making the decision here and who signs the checks. And it sounds really bleedingly obvious, but often the person that's written the brief and has briefed you is not the person that's actually making the decision because if you can get to that person, then the whole thing just... So I've had, I've weirdly, I've had three different clients that we've won work from in the last two weeks where my primary contact is the investor in the business. That's interesting. Yeah, they, yeah. they're bringing the founders in. Yeah. A little bit sort of like, oh God, why are we in here? Like we know what we're doing. But the investor, doesn't, he doesn't care. You can see they're not doing, not quite doing what it is. And then like, and that's a really interesting dynamic as well, where you've got someone who is just thinking about yeah. the bottom line. Yeah, going, yeah. You've got to use them. Well, they want a return on their investment in the business or the brand, right? So if they can see a more efficient way of getting there, then that's then it. brilliant. But we're, you know, I'm, there are CMOs that I meet who get it, right? And they're fighting internally to try and turn this beast, right? Um, and there are CMOs that I meet where I think you'll do very well to have a job in two years because you just, you're still saying, oh no, social's a fad. Oh my God. Like, are you kidding me? Like, your obituary will be written on social. Like, what? What? What do you I, want? I, I like, think it's so. I think it's so fascinating. I mean, one. One of the reasons for that, uh, not necessarily not necess the right answer, but one of the reasons is you tend to go through this annual planning cycle where you start off. What did we spend last year? Oh, we divided our budget like this, and you kind of start with that as the planning assumption next year. No one sits back and go, well, wh wh where's the market going, and where you know what the big so change. Interesting. The only people that do are people that haven't done it. So. You look at the gym sharks of this world. There are people that have built billion pound businesses in the last three years just from social, right? And they've done that because they didn't have that legacy, you know, oh, we've got, yeah, we always do TV. We always do that. They just went, right, we've got X. How do we spend it and get the most back from it? That's it. That's all they've done, which is what I did at Sport Lobster as well. And what every actual entrepreneur in charge of a business. Well, you does. told me something interesting earlier as well, didn't you? That that, it, that applies also to your employees in terms of not hiring them from competitor agencies because yeah. they'll bring with them that kind of, that's how we can't. this thing works. We've, yeah, right? we've really... You don't want that. You kind no. of, you, you want naivety. Yeah. You want talent, but you want naivety at that's the same it. time. Yeah, and talent, and if you've worked somewhere else, like when life experience and stuff is, is incredibly valuable. Um, but agency experience isn't. I'm yet to meet one I think is really good. So... I think that's a fascinating insight that. You know, it's I'm I've met people there that I think are good, yeah. but I'd never walk into an agency and go, God, I'm jealous of this. Like these guys have got it right. Or I always go in and think, Oh, you're missing it. Hi there. Sorry to interrupt the uh, conversation there. I just wanted to give you a little heads up about what's coming in the next episode. So we've been talking a lot about influencer marketing and I'm gonna change gears slightly for the next one to meet uh, somebody who's uh, co-founded and led one of the most successful advertising agencies in London and in fact around the world which is Ian Milner from Iris. Um, I'll be finding out a little bit more about what it's like to set up an agency. How do you win pitches? How do you deliver great work? 
and um, what are the pros and cons of in-housing uh, ad agencies yourself. So if you'd like to listen into that one, I promise you it'll be a really great episode and uh, you'll learn a load. So uh, join me next time where we interview Ian Milner. Meanwhile, let's get back to Aaron. Well, I was chatting, I was chatting the other day to um, Adam Morgan, who wrote this book, Eat the Big Fish. One thing he said to me was actually, it's surprising how often it's people from outside an industry that disrupt it because they've got none of the preconceived wisdoms, you know, that, that exist. And, well, that's and us. I mean, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the well, power of like not knowing mm-hmm. how things should be done, quote unquote, yeah. is enormous. That's 100% it. We, everything, every structure and every process in here, and it, they change continuously because they should. Um, but it's all just done in straight line thinking. It's all just done with problem, solution, draw a straight line. Like we've we've always had confidence and belief in our product, the ability to deliver through influencers. So we've never had to build an area which is where we do the, you know, which is what everyone else seems to have is like a little bit where... We need an influencer department. Let's tag it on yeah, to the back like of this just, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all yeah. stuff. Like, so we that as well. We've just never really... We've we just never done that. that. We've just... Yeah. We went into this knowing we had something that worked better than everything else. I think that's really interesting that you experienced it almost as a client first, didn't you? As yeah. As... You know, you proved it to yourself because you had to get return on that money. 100%. And you saw the result and thought, hang on a minute, no one else can give me this. That's it. So I'll go that's, and create, that's create all it, it is. We were the, if, we'd have, if I'd have joined an agency rather than starting Sport Lobster, we would not exist, right? There is no way that I would have come out of that and started. There is no way someone in the... Because it's... I wouldn't say no way. There might be the odd person who's really disrupted, but like to kick away from all that structure on top of you must be very difficult like we are like the people that come in here we're making them think a certain way if in five or ten years we're wrong we won't be fit for purpose either so this is really interesting how, how are you going to protect against that right because it you know your success could start to become your a disadvantage couldn't it if, if you become an institution right that so, how, how do you protect against that as you grow we are as agnostic as we possibly can be. And I think that is, that's part of it from a channel point of view. And as much as we're, we don't own or manage any influencers, we have more data than anyone on the influencers, but we don't manage, we don't manage them. So any individual influencer stops, any individual platform stops, doesn't matter to us, right? If another channel starts becoming more effective than social, we'll use that other channel. We've got no bones about it. It doesn't, we're an agency that delivers business results for our clients. We use social and influencers because right now it is by far the best channel. As soon as it becomes not that, we will be on the next thing. Now, it's easy to say that. And the reality of making sure that happens is never thinking that we have got all the answers, never thinking that we've stopped into it. I mean, we, we are, honestly, we're, we find new stuff every couple of days here that radically changes like how things are and that's so much better this is like and you'd sit here now and if i like i couldn't possibly tell you what's going to happen in the next month but i know a load of different stuff will happen a load of different innovations whether it's platform stuff whether it's our own tech whatever it may be and that desire to keep innovating we don't feel like we've done anything yet right that the from an entrepreneur point of view our big fear here is that we leave something on the table over the next three or four years because I've been around a few blocks now and we're very fortunate that everything has lined up for us to be in the situation that we're and in. And you know, that's another thing about entrepreneurs that I notice is, is all of them feel that. Like, we've, we've not done this job. This isn't done, you know. I've not got there. No, even no. even if, you know, you're, you've just floated social chain or whatever, you know, it's still going, yeah. I, I'm not done, yeah, yeah. you know, which I think is really healthy yeah. That's a really healthy in a corporate business. You 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 get you almost buy your own hype. Going, oh no, we know how to do this. Now it's done. When you lose that kind of hunger that you just talked. Yeah, about. I mean it's, it's weird what what we set out to do. This kind of changed. We set out to to you know to grow an agency. And pr- probably if you'd have said to us four years ago, all right, like we've had offers to sell out lots of offers. We get all the time. If you'd have said to us four years ago, okay, that's the number. Will you take it? Hundred percent, we take it. Hundred percent. But there's no chance we do now. And I'm not even sure there's a number right now, to be honest, because it's 
we feel like if we step away from this, this won't get done. Like these guys will have another three or four years of screwing everyone. And so I feel obliged to, to carry this on. Like, and again, anybody listening to this from like a WPP, I'm not, nothing against the individual people, but the structures you're in, you know a shit. You know they don't deliver good work. You know it's overhyped. You know that, like, you know it. I don't need to tell you. So we're, we're going for those structures. We're going for the accountants advertising agency business, which is what those things have become. They've become, you know, accountancy business because that's what Sorrel is, an accountant. And, I, and I've had dinner with him. I think he's one of the smartest people I've ever met and got a huge amount of respect for him. But they all miss this. They, they got the programmatic one, they miss social. In terms, in ter- interesting in terms of financing the business, because you, you, you waited a long time, didn't you, before you took investment. How did you get the business to scale up? Because it's pretty hard to get to this kind of scale without some support in place. We made it profitable from day one. That was it. We didn't put, when I say the three of us started it, we didn't put 100 grand in it, but we just started it. And just, we got a client to pay us. And by the end of the first month, we made enough to take, a grand each or whatever and we we just rolled from there that was that was it um then 18 months ago we we took funding after having probably <laughs> 250 offers from people who wanted us to go into the group and want us to do all that we got no interest in that um the money we finally took was just money they're they're lovely people and they're great and they can they can help us on certain things but they don't think they know how to run this business and they don't want to get involved in the decision making they are backing us a hundred percent so have you managed the cash flow because often because that's the challenge isn't it you can be profitable but you can also run out of cash made people pay us up front made people do things i think people accept things too much oh what do you do when your clients don't pay you well if you've done the work they should and then go to the courts if they haven't, right? That's what they're there for. So you know, that's so interesting as well, because I know um, when I was uh, running a small business a few years ago, um, every every time I went to see a customer, I negotiated the payment terms. I, mean, I remember pitching to a, yeah. a kind of national chain of um, you know food and drink chain, and, um, a, a, and and the buyer wanted this big check, you know, two hundred fifty thousand pounds. He wanted off me, and, and I said, yeah, yeah, no, I'd very happily pay that. However. There's a few things I need in return. And one of the things I said, I said, I need seven day payment terms. Because the accountant had said to me, you know, if you can get payment terms down from 90, which this customer wanted, down to seven, that's 20 grand in our pocket. So I went in armed with this bit of information and I, got, I walked away with a seven day payment term. Most of the time people, people so, will do what they have to do, right? And so if you give them a way not to do it, they won't do it. Yeah. What we do is just explain to them that we're not willing to do it based on that. Mm-hmm. I am not going to, ca- because, Again, up until 18 months ago, and even that, like, 90% of this business plus owned by Meenik and Harry, right? So this is our money. When someone doesn't pay us, they're not paying us. And I am not going to cash flow <laughs> a multi-million, <laughs> multi-billion pound business. Like, it's... And, how, and the bigger they are, the more they want you dare to, they to cover their even cash. even ask yeah. someone to do that? Like, that's my opinion, is it's, it's just wrong, so I'm not going to do it. And, yeah, there are times when... You really want it. You might have to accept it, stuff like that. But fundamentally, we're strong on on you know we. You've got to value yourself as an agency. Like I believe we're the best social agency in the world, the best influencer agency in the world. If you're a client of ours, I believe you're lucky to be working with us. Genuinely. Now, that doesn't mean that we're blasé about it, and we're going to give you everything we've got, every single thing we've got to deliver you amazing results. We will never lie to you. But you're going to have to treat us with a level of respect, right? Like, um, And I see agencies lowering themselves to clients. I see there are clients where I'm, I think, I don't want to work with you. Like, If you're going to be like that, it's not... Well, I, I say it, th- th- this whole client-agency dynamic is so fascinating because I, I, I've spent 20 years of my career working um, uh, client-side, mm-hmm. and only recently have I been agency-side. And it is a real item, I have to say. But this, this kind of power balance has been really unhealthy particularly when it comes to pitching because um you know you've got three days to pitch and you spend 10 20 000 pounds preparing for the pitch and you hear nothing or you don't get paid or and, and this is like normal you know sort of thing so I, I think if you can make a stand that is a really healthy thing to well, do we are i'm 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 a very very simple person and for me the 
the simple answer is always the answer, right? And so if something is wrong, it's wrong. And you can spend as long as you want trying to sort of fiddle it around, but like you will not change my mind that it's wrong. Like I might agree to it, but I'm going to do it on the basis. Like you're not, I'm not going to be manipulated in that way. And I'm trying to get everybody, we should all be like that. If the whole agency world, difficult, the first thing I want to do get the bad agencies out then if all the good agencies <laughs> can can stand together with terms then it will fundamentally change um, and it's not just agencies it's small businesses small businesses get absolutely screwed by big businesses and we all know the people that run the small businesses and none of us know who the <laughs> who owns the sort of multinational so why are we not ethically more aligned to help our community and the small businesses why are we happy to go with what the big ones what I find ones? fascinating what I, I, I find it such a pleasure when I meet uh, small businesses and small business startups and owners and they're, they're so willing to give and help and, and because they understand that you, you need a leg up you need support and, and so on and the goodwill you get and whereas if you go into a big multinational corporate, it's the opposite. It's bad will. It's like every, everyone's out to undermine you and see you fail. In fact, they cheer when you fail sort of thing. And it is so weird. But it's, you know, so, uh, yeah, I'm on the side of the startup every day of the week. Oh, 100%. 100%. Let me ask you one more thing. So I really want to pick your brains on. So obviously you've, you've been representing consumer brands and influencers what how would you take that approach in a in a business to business context what would be your advice for okay let me ask you a different question then related imagine you're launching a podcast so you know what would be your recommendation for getting that podcast to be the number one podcast on itunes okay so I think the first thing i would do is and this is whether it's a business or a podcast it, it's sort of the same thing is understand exactly what community you're operating in right now this podcast it's the marketing community so marketing community is the target market you then need to find people that have authority within that market and are willing to advocate for you now ideally then you want to make sure not only will they advocate but when they do it's actually effective and so it drives for example new listeners to the podcast right so the first thing we do is go okay marketing b2b marketing um, influencers who are we aware of we're you know we vlog on a daily basis we get about a hundred thousand views um, a week to pretty much that target audience so us being on the podcast us talking about it on the vlog us shouting like you know that is going to drive you some the only way any influencer has ever grown is through collaborations and good content that's it so you need to collab to make other people aware of you and pull those audiences over and then you need to make really good content. And if you do those two things and you have patience, it will work. If it's not happening, maybe the content's not good enough or maybe the people aren't can't advocate in the right way. But that's I would say that's the same whatever it is. You're you're setting up a um a flower business. You need people who specifically talk about flowers to advocate for you now you can still go and get somebody general to put out oh i'm buying flowers for my girlfriend but trust me that's not going to do it what will do it is when the florists start talking about it so b2b or b2c it's kind of the same thing with this it's about understanding the community you're in and getting people to advocate for it right if i walk around for the next week and tell everyone i meet oh my god i was on the best podcast ever some of those people are going to watch it that's it's that's how Damn it right. it's peer to peer <laughs> it's peer to peer recommendations so um, it's so true isn't it because like if you if you say to me this thing is great because i know you i'm going to go yeah if he thinks it i believe you right yeah. if someone who i've never met tells me that i'm going to go well they're just selling yeah. but but if you recommend i go well in fact i'm i'm not just going to do it i'll 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 definitely do it i won't just think about it i'll go well i need to do that now so here's something for all the cmos <laughs> listening so the, there was a study done um, earlier this year around um, the neuroscience of influencer marketing, and they looked at the impact of a consumer seeing a message from an influencer 
before seeing an ad versus seeing an ad before an influencer. And what they, what they found was that they were 58% more likely to act if they got the recommendation before the ad. So I'm desperately trying to get clients to slow the other channels down to allow social to go first, right? Because if you think about that, if I tell you now, oh, there's an amazing restaurant. When we finish here, you go downstairs, brilliant restaurant on the corner, it's absolutely fucking brilliant. You go in there, it'll, it'll, it'll be amazing. Have this steak, it's perfect. And then you walk outside and see a sign for it. You go, oh, that's what Aaron recommended. Yeah. Great, I'm gonna go there. If you see the sign before you walk in here, and then I say, oh, there's a restaurant out there. Your assumption is, oh, Aaron's seen the sign, right? So you see a TV ad, then you see an influencer recommendation, you the assumption the is yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. TV ad has influenced yeah. the influencer just like it's influenced me. Whatever you see first, you make an assumption everybody else sees first. So if you see an ad first, your assumption is everyone else sees ads. So then every peer recommendation you get underneath that is tainted a little bit by the fact that you've already seen an ad. If you go peer recommendation first, then the ads come in. And also, we I, see it, forever it may peer. just be because we're in this kind of industry, but I'd, I'd also think, ah, they're, recommend, they're recommending it because of some sort of incentive from uh -huh. the brand that spent the money. Whereas the other way around, you, 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 it's pure, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's d once you've made that decision, it's peer, if it's then ad behind, mm. it doesn't matter. Mm. You've already classified, you've already classified that content it as an authentic, as an authentic yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so when the rest comes, it, it, it all it does is reinforce. But you will still think about that first one. And so I think that is something that people can start like just, oh, well, how do I do that? Just hold your TV ad. Just hold it for three weeks. Everyone else, at, at the moment, everyone's dropping TV ad. Three weeks later, the cuts start to come out on social. Just let influencers put the stuff well, I think out that's a really first. interesting thing for the planning because because you know you can imagine the situation brief brief creative agency big idea get into the TV and then it's almost like the other channels become oh now let's do this 100 flip it the other way around I think that's yeah. really that's what and why why would you lead with TV in now? a way the TV becomes your crescendo that's like right now you've all been talking about it is our big reveal, there you, you know, and then so it's, and, it's and that's the conversion. we're not we're not anti TV at all. Yeah. I think TV budget's too high, and I think it needs to go into social. But I think every other budget's too high, and a bit of it needs to go into social. Um, but good TV advertising is still good, but it should be part of a mix. But that doesn't mean the same content. That's the mistake people make. They think a uniform plan is everything being off that TV ad. You can have a hundred creatives and have a uniform plan because you're going to hit. 100 mini communities you can still have a macro community above that and a, but when you hit that that micro one at the bottom it can't look anything like your general one at the top right and so it's it's not throw it all away it's just logic right? and, and, and I, I think you've hit on something which really frustrates me which is where you see this is the tv this is the outdoor and then i've just cut it down mm -hmm to work in social yep. but it doesn't work in social no, because you haven't got 30 seconds and a nice you know the, the soundtrack and you're uninterrupted you got also you know you're flicking through your social feed and all that sort of thing you've got to start with the environment and the context in which you're looking at it yeah. well the, the, the best example is actually like the best thing that screws it all is subtitles right you can't put a video on 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 social without subtitles eight percent of videos watched without sound on but you go and try and tell one of these creative agencies to put subtitles on their TV ad, they're going to want to kill you. So the amount of times we get these cut-ups without subtitles because they don't want to look at it with subtitles on, but it's utterly useless if it goes out without them. But in their mind, it ruins the ad. So it's, it's fucked from because oh, that is, as soon as you put the subtitles on, it kills the aesthetic, but without the subtitles, it's pointless. Yeah. So they're setting out without really a solution for it to work. You know, I mean, you're gonna put something on social, build it for social. It's not difficult and it's, it's not expensive either. It's, you can build 500 things on social for the price of one TV ad and I get more people to see them on social than on TV. So, you know, but again, don't throw away your TV, have it as a mix, but we've got to stop leading with TV. Like we've got to stop leading with TV. If we stop that, a lot of these other problems will get solved, right? A lot of the media problems is everybody's reliance on TV. But we've got to let these contracts break. We've got to let a few of these ones that are too into it fall away. And then we can actually have some, some sense when it comes to planning.
brilliant. Thank you. Uh, that, that's been amazing. L listen, let me um, last couple of questions then. So, what's what's next for Go Agency? Where, where, where are you, where you going to go? Where does the ball bounce next for you guys? So we will open some other international offices in the next 12 months. Um, possibly another one this year, but we'll, we'll see. We're just trying to educate and just bring clients into the next, the next level. Um, we're trying to make sure that we're getting better and better and better at everything that we do. Um, but our aim is to become the best advertising agency in the world. Um, I think advertising is creative and media together. Um, it's never made any sense to me for it to be separate. Um, you could say, oh, we, you know, maybe our aim is to become the next holding group, but not in the way that you think of as a holding group, if that makes sense. Um, so we're just trying to disrupt. We're trying to, you know, if we can, if we can disrupt this, the whole industry will get better because of it. Um, and that really is what we're trying to do. We're we're not looking to get out. We're looking to to do the coolest stuff we can that produces the best results for our clients. And the thing I want everyone to know Goat as is the agency that delivers results for clients. Like, yes, we actually do some of the coolest stuff on social and we're really, but I never talk to people about it because you'll sort of find that out once you're in with us. But before you get into us, what you need to know is we do it. Yeah. We deliver. Right? I, li I like your idea of becoming the best, or I don't know if you've quite said it like this, but the, you know, the biggest creative agency in the world as well. Because that actually, you know, the, 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 the channel in a way is irrelevant because what you're doing is, is communicating a brand to, you know, to the audience, right? And if you're going to split that into hundreds and thousands of different ways, then creativity is even more important. Yeah. And we rely yeah. on the influencers. We've got yeah. over 100,000 freelancers, right? Because when we call influencers and go, this is the idea, what do you think? Come back with something. They come back with a creative idea. And honestly, some of the stuff we get is amazing. I mean, that is crowdsourced yeah. creativity. Basically what it is. Yeah. Now, you can't fully crowdsource it with influencers. If you give them control, it's very dangerous. So, But you definitely want their creative and you want their, their minds, but you want them to be under our control so we can make sure the brand safety stuff and everything gets done but that's the magic balance right we've it's and that's the ability we can do crazy stuff at scale because yeah we're 130 people but we're 100,000 people as well you know we need 15 people to do something in in Bucharest tomorrow easy like I'm not sure how many other agencies can actually do that but we'll have worked with a load of those Romanian influencers where we'll be calling them going, all right, we need you to go and do this or this, you know, it's, so I think the world has changed enough that you like needing 135 offices and like, I don't think that's necessary anymore. We're running stuff all over the world without being in market. Yeah, we've got local speakers and all that sort of stuff. And culturally we have to be localized, but do you really need to have an office in Nairobi just so you can say you've got an office in Nairobi? Like I'd, I'm not so sure. I think we'd probably do a better job of that from here um, with the right local understanding using the tech and the expertise we've got centralized here. So, um, yeah, build, build that, that new beast. But, you know, our long-term vision as the three of us is to create a legacy of people, not the business. Um, the business we admire the most is um, is IMG and the what came out of the number of every like virtually everybody I met in sports marketing yeah. ten years ago was from there. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. And everybody talked about Mark Cormack, and yeah. it was just the if and not to be like him, but just if we in twenty years' time can have you know, two or 300 of our people in, in, you know, running shit with our mentalities, like that from a legacy point of view would bring a huge amount of satisfaction to us. I think more than any monetary figure or anything like that. Um, you know, we're, we're young. We're, I'm 32, Harry's 24, Nick's 20. What are we going <laughs> to do? Like, we got, we, we've got a long time <laughs> He's now. He's quite a few hobbies now. Yeah, well, we've, we want to be in this for another 20, 30 years. We don't, we're not looking to dip in and get out. Brilliant. Okay, so final question. I've been asking everyone this. Uh, tell me something you've never told anyone else. Oh, God. Um, 
Your diet was interesting. Oh my yeah, god! Your diet was interesting. Yeah. I okay, was just like, man, right. this, how does this guy live yeah. without eating? Coffee is the answer. <laughs> how um, is it? <laughs> yeah, big time, <laughs> big time. But yeah, so I I in, I accidentally yeah. intermittently fast. So for for ten years, I haven't eaten breakfast. And you could have come up with a five two diet, right? I could have done, yeah, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't know what it was. So <laughs> I just do it accidentally. <laughs> Um, Aaron's fasting diet. But yeah, I, I, people have criticized me for years and years about it. And then I was watching something two or three years ago and I discovered that what I'd been doing was intermittently fasting, just not eating for big chunks of the day. And apparently there's a load of health benefits for it. I've got a friend who does this. He yeah. eats in the evening and then does, he skips breakfast and lunch. Yeah. He, he, he that's drinks a lot of coffee as well. Yeah, yeah that's well. what I He do. might have like, I think he has a bag of nuts or something at some mm -hmm. point in the day. Yeah, and I have, and a, a, I have uh, so yeah, fruit juice and stuff yeah. like that. But, but I'm not, I eat whenever I'm hungry. If I'm hungry at 10 o'clock, I'll eat. But I've maybe eaten before midday once in the last like two years like it just wow. I'm, I'm not hungry okay so just lastly lastly um how do people get hold of you um i am at aaron shepherd on i think virtually every platform like certainly linkedin oh, easy. um a double r o n shepherd um two r's don't forget yeah on linkedin uh we're the goat agency on youtube um instagram facebook tiktok um but i would what I would suggest people follow us is on LinkedIn. We're daily vlogging there every day. We put five or six videos out a day. Um, we're not trying to preach to anyone. We're just showing people what we're doing. Um, if there's anybody watching this who thinks, oh, I wonder what they do, watch five or six of them and you will know, you'll see the who we are. You might hate us, you might like us, but you'll get to you'll see know. what it is, <laughs> right? And who we are and how we are as people. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants to want to see who we are, then our LinkedIn would be amazing. Ideal. Aaron, absolute pleasure. Go check it out, and thank you for your time. It's been amazing. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you everybody for listening to the Uncensored CMO. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Now, just to wrap up, I've got one request of you. I would love it if you would drop me a DM on Twitter at Uncensored CMO and let me know who you think I should have on the show. If you'll do that for me, I will send you a bottle of pink Moe. What could be fairer than that? Um, I would genuinely really appreciate it, so please do that. James, and finally, how can what should people do now? Well, we would really, really also appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help the podcast grow. If you've got a friend who wants to listen to the best new marketing podcast out there, please do share it with them. Share the, this episode on Twitter. Share it on LinkedIn. Let's push this podcast far and wide. Thank you.